We're continuing our, our sermon series on teachable moments about how Jesus dealt with the disciples at key moments to help them grow and change. And this morning we're looking at motivation. A passage begins just after they have returned from their first mission trip. Uh, they were sent out two by two in Mark 7. The disciples were sent out to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God. So in verse 30, at the beginning of our passage, they've just returned and they are buzzing. They're buzzing, I think, with lots and lots of stuff they want to tell Jesus. I think you need to imagine them excitedly talking over one another with amazing stories of the power of the kingdom of God breaking through. But verse 31 tells us that Jesus himself is surrounded by so many people that they can't even find time to eat, let alone cook. So there's no real time to rest, no real time to debrief on how they might learn to do things better. So Jesus decides that what needs to happen is they need to get away. Second half of verse 31, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. They attempt to slip away, slip away so that they can get rest, so that they can reflect and learn from their first experience of doing kingdom ministry for Jesus, but without him present. Trouble is they're seen. On another occasion, in Mark 4.35, it looks like they slip away as evening comes, so people can't tell in what direction they're, they're going over the Sea of Galilee. But here, nothing seems to be hidden because it's not planned. You need to remember the Sea of Galilee is not enormous. It shouldn't really be described as a sea. It is a maximum of 13 miles long and a maximum of 8 miles wide. So people see them going. And people know the area well enough to be able to guess more or less where they're headed. So like paparazzi trying to snap, uh, snap celebrities, people head to where they think Jesus is going to land. But it's not a few paps on mopeds, it's eventually thousands of people. Verse 33, many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. You might think, well, why didn't they see the people moving on the shoreline? Well, it's much easier to spot a boat out on a lake than to spot people moving on a shoreline. And the people, of course, are tracking the boat, whereas those in the boat are simply taking their time, enjoying being off duty, talking through what's just happened. And when those on the, on the shoreline walk through the, uh, the other settlements, people in the settlements say, well, what's going on? Well, we're following Jesus, so they join in. So others join in as they hear where they're going. So it's only as they approach the shoreline, the disciples and Jesus realise what's happened. Now I am guessing the disciples just groaned. Probably inwardly, yes, but I reckon they just groaned. You cannot be serious. I think their focus right then is their own needs for rest and for reflection and for time with Jesus as their Lord. Jesus has even told them that they, that they need that. He sought to create space for their needs to be met. And here is the most humongous crowd looking hungrily at them, desperate for the kingdom of God to come to them. And I'm sure they simply felt at that moment, this is just not fair. You have got to be kidding me. We're exhausted and we have got nothing left. I reckon they looked at Jesus and were hoping he was going to send them away. 
going to tell them that this was a private meeting. Come back tomorrow and I'll teach you then. So the first teachable moment is there is always compassion. With Jesus, there is always compassion. Reading the passage made me remember the night of Christmas Day quite some years ago, where I did not respond very compassionately, if I'm honest. I was already in bed before 10 o'clock, exhausted after lots of Christmas services. But half past 10, the doorbell rang. When the door was answered, there was a sudden commotion and several startled cries. And I can remember lying there thinking, as I reckon the disciples did, what now? You have got to be kidding me. Getting dressed again, I went downstairs to find that a family in complete extremists had forced their way into our home. They knew it was a vicarage and they were claiming sanctuary. After much listening, uh, hard because English wasn't the first language and hard because the story being told was of a family in absolute crisis, I ended up having to call the police. I couldn't think of anything else to do. The parent present with their children showed obvious signs of significant mental disturbance and all three of them were massively distressed. The children were barely clothed and weren't shod on a very cold night. There were serious allegations being made. The family were demanding to be housed by us. The trouble was we had 15 members of our family in the house that night. Even if it had been appropriate, we literally had no beds to spare. And then we had the children, this was quite some time ago, we now had the children of our own family sitting in the next room, wide-eyed and seriously scared. We ended with all the police on duty in Southampton that Christmas night years ago in our vicarage, helping us deal with this family in absolute crisis who had forced their way into our home. It took about three and a half hours to resolve the situation to the extent that it was resolved. And afterwards, we were all just stunned. Honestly, I reacted like the disciples did that night, out of duty. I didn't want to let the Lord down. I wanted to act appropriately for everyone, but I was exhausted, and I was getting through on muscle memory. I was struggling to feel the compassion required. It was, as I think it was for the disciples, say, you have got to be kidding me. When I feel like I've got nothing left, it has to be right now. Jesus, of course, reacts differently. Verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he didn't think, you've got to be kidding me. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. The word translated had compassion means something like his heart was torn. Jesus sees their need. Jesus doesn't think of himself uh, but is drawn to their hunger for God. And rather than being exhausted as I was, or rather being overwhelmed as I think the disciples were, Jesus finds or is given the compassion to act as a shepherd and starts to minister to their need. He begins to teach. He begins to answer their hunger by showing them what the kingdom of God actually means. And Jesus teaches the disciples in, in reacting as he does, he teaches them that with God there is always compassion. That we can always seek to respond compassionately, even when we feel it is not in us at that moment. 
because God will give it to us. There is always compassion if we ask for it. Second teachable moment for the disciples. There is always a way. There is always a way. I remember my first and only geography field trip. I was 11 or 12, and we were taken 60 or so miles west from York and into a different world, the limestone country of Malham Cove and Malham Tarn, deep within the Yorkshire Dales. I was honestly apprehensive we were going to work, walk further that day than I'd ever walked in a day before. As we set off, we soon find ourselves in a steep-sided valley. It twisted left and then sharply right, narrowing all the time so that the valley cliffs were looming over us. And finally, we came to a circular clearing surrounded by steep limestone cliffs and were confronted by a waterfall. There seemed to be no way forward. Many of us openly wondered if our geography teacher had already got us completely lost. But there was a way out. Yet many of us were stunned to hear it. Some of us honestly didn't want to take the way out. Certainly our form teacher, Miss Littlewood, looked absolutely horrified by it. It obviously hadn't been covered in her briefing on the trip. The only way out was to climb the waterfall in front of us. I'm not honestly sure you'd get away with it today, or at least not without everyone wearing high-vis harnesses and hard hats. But that is what we did. It was a profoundly teachable moment. We were shown that there was a way out as we climbed the waterfall. That's how we escaped from the bottom of Gordale Scar. That came to mind when thinking about today's passage. Because there seems to be no way forward for the disciples as well. They too have been led into a place where there seems to be no way out, no way forward. I think you can hear their weariness, even perhaps their resentment in verse 35 and 36. This is a remote place, Lord, and it is already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to get the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. They're saying, you brought us here for a rest, Lord. Send them away. Send them away so that they can look after themselves. We desperately need to stop. I think you need to hear the emotion in the disciples in this passage. They're facing the waterfall and it seems completely and utterly unclimbable. And then Jesus challenges them, you give them something to eat. Verse 37, now you really need to hear their frustration. That would take more than half a year's wages. What they're saying, we haven't got that money and we haven't got the energy to traipse around everywhere and buy the food and bring it back for everyone. You promised us a rest, Lord. Jesus tells them to go and see how many loaves they've got to hand. And now I think you have to hear the irony in what they say. Five. We've got five loaves among thousands, but on the plus side, we've got two fish. To the disciples, there's no way out. To them, the waterfall simply cannot be climbed. But Jesus sends them out to get the people to sit down in groups of 50 and 100. Probably seemed pointless to the disciples. But they and the people complied. Then Jesus stands up in their midst, publicly thanks God for the bread and the fish, breaks them, and then gets the exhausted, frustrated, hopeless disciples to start distributing them to the groups. 
Matthew and Luke record that the disciples literally do give the people something to eat. Everything that gets passed out goes through their hands. They are unwilling participants in this miracle. We're not told how reluctant the disciples were to start distributing the food because they know how quickly it's going to run out. They are waiting for the first angry shouts as some realise others have been fed, but they're not going to be. But as they're already stroppy, I'm guessing pretty reluctant, and they're only doing so because they were told to. We're not told how quickly they realised it wasn't running out and that they could afford to breathe again because they hadn't realised they were holding their breath. We're not told how heavily awe starts to fall on them as they realise what's happening and how awe starts to turn to joy as they realise just exactly what was happening. And we're not told how exasperation and weariness evaporates into breezy, cocky confidence. Yeah, keep it coming. Loads more there that came from. It's an extraordinary teachable moment for the disciples that with Jesus there is always a way. If we're in the right place, if we're doing the right things, with Jesus there is always a way or a way will be made. As 1 Corinthians 10, 13 has it, God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tested, he will always provide a way out so that you can endure it. The teachable moment for the disciples is that there is always a way, even where there seems to be none. Even when we feel trapped without possible escape, even when it seems God's purpose cannot go forward, there is always a way. There is always a way up the waterfall. Third teachable moment. There is always a battle. There is always a battle. John 6, 12 tells us that Jesus said to the disciples, when everyone had eaten their fill, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. I love the fact that the disciples walk everywhere gathering up the pieces and they end up filling 12 baskets with broken pieces of bread and fish. There's another teachable moment for the disciples in passing. There is always enough. Their baskets are filled with more leftovers than they started with. How full of awe must they have been as they filled the baskets, brought them back together and realized they have ended with more than they started with. But as they're distributing the pieces, and particularly when they're litter picking afterwards, I'm sure the disciples are starting to ask themselves, who is this? We've just been fed in the wilderness. The only person to feed God's people in the wilderness was Moses. If the disciples are thinking that, you can be certain many of those who are being fed are starting to think it too. They're also surely beginning to think that the feeding of 5,000 men, and the language is gender-specific, so it's 5,000 households, roughly the number of men in a Roman legion. They're also thinking, look, this looks like the gathering of an army. Almost certainly looks like that to everyone watching, all of Jesus' opponents, whether Roman agents, Pharisees, agents of the chief priests. It looks like the gathering of an army. That's why the third teachable moment is there is always a battle. Always a battle. John 6.15 tells us, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The people he's just fed 
see him as a new Moses. They see him as an army leader. They see him as a commander of the Lord's army. They intend to come and make him king by force. From verses 45 or 46 of our reading, Jesus sends the disciples off in a boat. Maybe it's a diversion. Maybe other people will follow it. But he's getting them away from the scene. He dismisses the crowd. He sends them away. All of the unhelpful ideas about kingship, about this is an army, about military conquest, he sends those away as well. And he disappears into the wilderness to pray on his own. Why? Because they cannot rally behind a king they cannot find. They cannot force him to march in front of an army if they do not know where he is. Even in the midst of this extraordinary triumph, there's still a battle. There's always a battle to focus on what God wants. A battle to remain obedient to God's purpose even when other things, other ways forward come to mind. And there's always a battle against dark spiritual forces, those who would use Jesus for their own purpose, those who would use Jesus to release violence across the land. So teachable moments about motivation, that there is always compassion if we seek for it, if we ask for it. There's always a way if we look for it. There's always enough if we ask for it. And there's always a battle to stay on track with God's purposes. What does this all mean for us today? I wonder if first you are feeling as used up as the disciples were feeling that day when they looked out and saw a massive crowd waiting for them on the shoreline. Perhaps you're feeling that the burdens you're carrying aren't fair. Perhaps you're feeling you've not got a lot left if anything, for others. I think many people in this post-pandemic period are still under its shadow. Many of us don't have the energy and the resilience that we have had normally. If that's how you're feeling, then you need to rest and you need to ask for God's compassion for others to be poured out on you afresh. We need to receive afresh from the Lord's compassion so that we can be restored. Maybe you need to ask the Lord to fill you anew. There is always enough. There's always compassion for those who ask for it. I wonder if second, you need to ask the Lord to show you where the battle is around you at the moment. Where's the battle around you at the moment? Where's the battle inside for you at the moment? We can be too concerned about the enemy and we can be too dismissive. But Jesus certainly took the time to stand his ground against him. There's always a battle. Wherever we are stepping into the things of the kingdom, wherever we're trying to live for God, there's always a battle going on. So if life is challenging, whether in ministry or at work, whether in your family, your relationships, your neighborhood, ask the Lord to show you where the battle is around you at the moment. Just notice, even at this moment of amazing triumph, the battle comes quickly at Jesus. So ask for wisdom to discern where the battle is in your life. And ask for courage, because it takes courage to stand our ground. Ask for faith to believe that God will come through for you and that there will be a way 
and be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, standing in the full armor of God. And I wonder if third, you need to ask where God's way out is for you. I wonder if you're facing a Gordale scar moment where the walls seem too steep to climb, there appears to be no way forward. But if we're in the right place, doing the right things for God, there is always a way, or there will be. God will make a way. Wonder if you've lost hope that God will come through for you. Wonder if you've lost courage to take the way out that God may be laying out for you either because it feels like a retreat or because it feels too scary, like having to climb a waterfall. Where do we need new courage to keep living for God, even in times, even in positions of great pressure? The disciples had despaired, and yet they were made to be part of a way out though where there was none. I love the fact that every single piece of bread and fish pass through their unbelieving hands. How might God be wanting to show you that there is always a way? Even for you, even in your circumstances, there is always a way if you pursue him. And where are you feeling you've got to be kidding me at the moment? Where are you facing challenges that demand more compassion than you honestly have at the moment? Romans 5.5 5 says that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. Lord, you've got to be kidding me. I need more of your love and your grace and your power at work in me if I'm to rise to the challenge. Amen.